The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. More than 40% of people in their 40s and 50s have both an aging parent and a child under the age of 21. Caring for people in multiple generations demands time, love, attention, and more. Welcome to Caught Between Generations with your host, Dr. Merrill Griff. Our program will bring you the information you need as a family caregiver for everyone for whom you care, with guest experts and resources to help you keep sane and organized. Now, here is Dr. Meryl Griff. Welcome to Caught Between Generations. This is Dr. Merle, and I am so glad that you decided to join us today. Our guest is Dr. Jeffrey Bernstein, and he is a psychologist who specializes in child and family therapy. He is the author of 10 Days to a Less Defiant Child, and also the author of Liking the Child You Love. Now... If you're thinking, this show's not for me, you know, I don't have a child or my children are grown, I really do believe that regardless of whom you're caring for, that some of the issues are similar in terms of the feelings that you experience and the difficulties in handling those feelings. Actually, I've had the honor of interviewing Dr. Bernstein previously, and I know this to be true. So as a caregiver, you're stressed, you're exhausted, whether it's for children or for adults for which you're caring, the feelings really are the same. You may feel guilt, anxiety, even resentment. No matter how deeply we love the person for which we are caring, these are very common feelings. I know this because I cared for my mother in my home following her having a very dense stroke. She lived with me for about two years until she suffered another stroke and passed away. Now, I loved my mother really deeply, and I felt like the time we had together was very special. But in all honesty, I will admit to you, there were times when she was defiant, when she refused to work with the physical therapist. The mornings sometimes were especially difficult when she refused to take her medication. I felt really frustrated and admittedly sometimes even angry. So what's the point? The point is that all of us experience these feelings. You're not alone as a caregiver. However, it's what you do with these feelings that's really important. So on this show, we're going to be discussing how to handle these feelings of frustration and anger and how to ensure that we're practicing good listening skills that would eliminate or might decrease some of the defiant behaviors we encounter. So it's caught between generations, whether it's your child, your parent, or perhaps one of your siblings. I think you'll find this show relevant to you as a caregiver. Welcome to Caught Between Generations, Dr. Bernstein. Thanks so much for having me again, Meryl. 
Oh, it's great to have you. You were such a fabulous guest the last time, and I know you will be this time. So I want to tell you just a quick little story. I was talking to someone recently, and they were describing a child to me that I would describe as defiant. And their comment was, well, he's just a little defiant. What he's really doing is expressing his independence and his and his personality. So what is a defiant child? How would you really define a defiant child? Well, I think it comes down to, you know, what's the persistent pattern? Um, I mean, any kid, you know, the human brain, I think sometimes we all forget this as parents. Uh, I'm still waiting for mine to fully mature, but I know <laughs> by age 25, 26 is when the human brain fully matures. Uh, why is that, by the way? Because a fully mature human brain um, won't fit through the birth canal. So it takes a long time for the human brain to grow and, and catch up. Um, and so, you know, I think we need to realize that kids are going to have their bumps. They're going to have their reactivity, especially if they're hungry, they're tired. But when there's a persistent pattern of, you know, disrespect, of, of just this incredibly uh, non-relenting belief that I'm just as, I have the same rights, I'm, I'm just equal to you from a kid's perspective um, with parents, and disrespectful behavior, um, not following rules, um, then you have to kind of step back and look at it. So that's when I start getting concerned and think, well, maybe there's, you know, actual defiant behavior pattern. Some could label it as oppositional defiant disorder, but of course it's a continuum. So you don't think this is an issue of temperament? I mean, there, there's a lot in the literature about temperament. There's a lot. You're really making a good point. And in fact, you know, for what causes defiant behavior in children? We could, we could dialogue this and have a great debate on it. You could bring in a lot of different experts with different opinions. But I think for some kids, they have... Another way of saying temperament is a strong personality. They may be very, you know, some people might say type A. They're very intense. They have a strong need to know. Um, there's actually studies that show that some kids who are gifted, intellectually gifted, because it's so hard to be smart uh, when other people, some of your peers, or even some of the adults you are around, you are around, are not quite as smart as you. So you get bored, you get frustrated. So that could be part of it as well. Um, it could be anxiety. I think kids who um, are anxious, that could be part of their temperament, and sometimes that can come out sideways as defiant behavior. So it, it can be a host of different, you know, struggles that, that are temperament-related. You're right. So for kids that are defiant, I mean, do you see this 24-7? Do, are there certain things that set them off? Um, or is it really a consistent defiance through their day? Well, I mean, as psychologists, I don't like when we say it depends because it feels like a cop-out, but guess what? It depends. It depends. Here's, one of the, here's one of the things that I really think is, is so, so, what's the word I want to use? So um, really just captivating, I'll use that word, with kids. It just really gets our attention, and, and a lot of parents are really kind of scratching their heads. Some of the most defiant children and teens I've seen are also some of the most polite. They can have sensitivity for others. They can be very empathetic and caring and tuned in. But yet they will turn on a dime and lose it. And by that, I mean they will raise their voice. Words will pop out that they'll regret. 
um, you know, usually when there starts to get physical contact and all that, then you're starting to talk more about a conduct disorder or property being broken, windows broken. That's more what's called, you know, conduct disorder. That's a little more severe when, you know, especially when it gets into crime and, and that sort of thing. But these kids can really unleash themselves um, before getting to that level and, and really get loud and, and obnoxious and, and reactive uh, right on a dime. And that's the most confusing thing for a lot of parents is how can I have a kid who usually can be so supportive and helpful and caring or at school is so wonderful and yet at home is just a bear. So. So it's so not then, that they're always consistently difficult kids. Some of them are very caring and, and you know, very considerate. I'm glad you clear, cleared that up because I think it is confusing because I think as parents we tend to think that if it's not consistent across the board, then it's a different type of problem. So thank you for that. So right. the, but the it title- still counts when they are, you know, when they do go overboard, it's still, even though it may not be a, you know, a 24-hour-a-day, they're a difficult child we still have to work with these kids to know it's not okay to lose it like that so yeah so the name the title of your book is 10 days to a less defiant child the breakthrough program for overcoming your child's difficult behavior so mm-hmm. 10 days all right am i taking mm-hmm. my two-week vacation to do this am i doing it over summer am i checking into a hotel for 10 days what am i doing during these 10 well, what, days. What you're doing is you're having this as a mindset. What I will tell you um, is that I've had parents within a couple hours of using some of the key elements of this program be able to really see differences in how their children respond to them. I mean, the takeaway message of this 10-day program is to learn how to see yourself when you're stuck as a parent, as a coach. That you're not, because this is what I hear so often. Parents will say, he or she doesn't show me respect, doesn't show me that I have the authority, doesn't respect my authority, doesn't listen to me. And when I hear parents get that reactive in that kind of one down, I'm the one in charge, they should listen to me. I, 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 it's not like the par- I, I, I support the authority of the parents, but when the parent starts having an adult temper tantrum and modeling that adult temper tantrum, also known as yelling and overreactivity, <laughs> over-the-top consequences, you know, you're grounded for the next two years kind of thing, well, that doesn't, it's very hard for children and teens to take that seriously. So a lot of the work is teaching the parents the difference between discipline, which is to teach, to support, and how to coach their kids, versus these blanket, hardcore punishments or this adversarial mentality that just makes things worse. And if you do that, if this gets followed, I will say um, very often in 10 days or less, huge changes can be made. So after the break, Dr. Bernstein, we're going to come back and we're going to talk about some of those behaviors, um, such as the yelling trap, as you describe it. However, I have a quick question I want to ask you before the break. Um, And as you and I have talked about, you know, I think part of the problem sometimes are family and friends who, as you're trying to change your system or how you do things as a family, get very committed to keeping things the same. And so I think at times they undermine the change. So as you're getting ready to embark on this 10-day program, how would you prepare 
you know, family members or friends to, so that they are supportive. Yeah, I don't think you really have to, uh, I don't think you owe anybody an explanation. Um, and I think you have to just follow your heart and everybody else around you should come in. I mean, you could have a few stock statements ready, like, listen, I appreciate, maybe you ought to run to, to, to FedEx, Kinko's, or one of these big chains and get advisor stickers and just stick it on everybody's head who has an opinion. But in all seriousness, <laughs> I think you can say to, you say to that person, listen, I hear that's how you see it. I see it differently. I respect you. I value your opinion, but this doesn't work for me. Thank you. And I think as long as you can remember in your mind, be mindful of all the times it doesn't work. Because a lot of parents don't get it. Oh, if it was my kid, I would, you know, I would give him a good boot or I would, you know, I wouldn't let him come out of his room or you should, you know, a lot of people just don't get that these types of children who become defiant in a problematic way are emotionally immature and they, you can't just compel them to be different without modeling and handling it differently. I think that um, you're right. I mean, I used to hear that um, from family members about, well, you know, we just need to give him a good kick in the you-know-where. Yeah. And fine, I don't know what we're doing all this talking about. And I would often say to the family member, you know, you know, really, is that what you're doing? And they're like, yeah, you know, your job's going to be to tell me not to do that anymore. But, you know, I think that's what they need. And my question always was, is it working for you? Is it working for you? And the answer usually is no. And I said, well, okay, then let's, let's try something else. Maybe it'll work. You know, let's just give it a shot. So, all right. Yeah. Uh, when we return, we're going to be discussing issues of comorbidity, and, such as ADHD and learning disabilities, and how to start controlling, you know, behaviors that don't work for you, such as yelling. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. At Sarah Care, we provide daytime activities and health related care for seniors who need assistance and support during the day. It is 101 activities at home by dinner. While we pride ourselves on the quality of our care, the Sarah Care Way sees beyond your loved one's needs to understand them as a unique individual. We care for individuals with chronic diseases, memory loss, stroke, Parkinson's disease, or those who may be feeling depressed and isolated. Our program is designed to encourage seniors to remain involved in activities of their choice, customized to meet their interests and abilities. Our outings include lunch at favorite restaurants and trips to the movies, concerts, or shopping at a cost that is less than five hours of in-home care. Your family member can attend one of our centers all day and be cared for by professional nurses and activity assistants. Transportation and financial assistance is available. Call 1-800-472-5544 today to learn how Sarah Care can help or visit us on the web at sarahcare.com. That's S-A-R-A-H care.com. We are surrounded by crises, domestic violence, mental health issues, rape, suicide. Often, we feel alone if we are dealing with these issues ourselves, or we feel powerless to help others who are dealing with them. You don't have to feel alone. 
Listen for The Journey, Stories of Crisis and Hope with Jessica Pirro. The show is an open forum to share and get advice from others and guest experts and begin or continue the healing process. Listen live every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health & Wellness. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. To Caught Between Generations. To reach our program today, please call 1 866 472 5792. That's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to Dr. Merrill at CaughtBetweenGenerations.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to Caught Between Generations. We're here with Dr. Jeffrey Bernstein, author of 10 Days to a Less Defiant Child, the breakthrough program for overcoming your child's difficult behaviors. So before the break, we were just beginning to talk about um, some caregiver behaviors that aren't necessarily helpful to either children or to other adults or for yourself because they don't make you feel very good about yourself. So let's talk about the most common one, which is yelling. Yeah, well, I think yelling, as I said, it, it basically it's, I mean, if you think of our job as, as a parent that we want to model, you know, really good life skills. And I think the two skills that we're all trying to work on every day, I know I am, is the ability to calm down and the ability to solve problems. And when we yell as parents, we're not showing really either of those. We're showing the opposite of being calm and we're really not solving a problem. We're usually making it worse. So yelling just inflames the emotional reactivity of both the parent and the child or the teenager. So we want to not yell. And by, you know, if we, if I say, well, you know, try not to yell, people say, well, okay, you know, but what can I do instead? Well, I think you can speak to your child in a calm, firm, and non-controlling manner. And, and that is what I talk about in the book. And, and so, you know, the example that I may have given you was that time that my son um, was really kind of rough with his younger sister and I yelled at him and I said, you know, you get in the car right now. He pushed her and, you know, he's like, make me. And we started to get into that old dynamic, you know, and I was like, I'm going to pull over. I'm going to take you to an abandoned you know, <laughs> field. We used to live in a rural setting, you know, and let him have it. He's a power lifter now, so it wouldn't work too well. Um, <laughs> good kid. There, I'm very grateful for my kids, all three. But basically, um, you know, he... Uh, I pictured myself when we were in the middle of this, Ray, I pictured myself on the kind of looking down, like I was floating on top of this whole situation. I know it sounds weird looking down and I watched how worked up I was. And I found myself saying something different at that point. When I really looked at myself, I was mindful, mindfulness. And I said, you know, I'm asking you please to apologize to your sister. I know you're better than this, but I can't make you, but I, I know you can do it if you want to. It's up to you. Something like that, you know, calm, firm because I stood up for the values and non-controlling. And about 10 minutes later, I heard, fine, sorry. Now, it wasn't as warm as I would have liked, and I joked with him, and then, but he heard it. And then later in the, in the uh, weekend that he was with me with his, with his siblings, 
uh, one of them started to provoke him. He walked over and cocked a fist, and, and I said, please. And he, and he let it go, and I reinforced him for making a good decision. So my point is, if I just spent all the time yelling and didn't try to think about teachable moments and modeling, we wouldn't have gotten too far. So it's very important to not yell at your kids. There's really not a good excuse to yell. I mean, you could say, well, no matter what, we're human, and you will at times, but clean it up. Turn to your child and, or teen and say, you know, I don't like the way I just spoke to you. It's not going to help you. It's not going to help me. And now you're showing accountability, and they can trust that. So for the parent who, you know, you're starting to get angry, right, and the anger is building, and mm-hmm. you know the next thing that's going to happen is you're going to start yelling. So right. how do you turn it off? I mean, what, how do you, what's your tips for how you just reduce that anger enough? Yeah. What do you, what do well, you say I, to yourself? I, I, I think, I think what I'm going to try to do is say to myself, how am I going to feel afterwards? How am I going to feel afterward? What is this doing for me? This, and I'm going to remind myself, this feels good. I might even say, you know, it feels good to yell at you right now. There's a part of me that really wants to yell. So by naming it, I'm taming it. If I name it, I tame it. Name it to tame it. I'm angry. I'm hurt. I'm feeling like you're not listening to me. I want to yell at you. I'm starting to yell. Now I'm releasing it. Now it slows me down, believe it or not, because I'm not just talking about, I'm not just having the debate about whether he or she picked up their room or the tone they just used with me as an adolescent, you know, uh, or whether their friends are bad news or not. Because what happens is we get into these intellectual debates and we forget that we're still trying to talk things out. So I'm going to tune into my process. I'm just going to share. Listen, we're getting really upset right now. This isn't helping. I don't, want, I don't want to yell at you. So if I make these statements where I'm tuned in to what's going on, it helps me stay accountable. I think also taking some deep breaths, you know, and there's no reason you can't say, you know, hold on and take a deep breath. I think that's really good modeling. And, and look, another thing to think about is if you were now, I don't know whether you're Democrat or Republican, but you know, if the president of the United States is sitting there next to you or, or some major television network is filming you, are you really going to yell? You know, because people will say, oh, I can't help it. You know what? If you were in certain situations where you'd have to help it, could you help it? And I think you can start to ask that accountability of yourself and remind yourself when you, uh, here's another way to think about it. When you're dead and gone and your kids tune in to hear your voice, what do you want them to remember? What sound bites do you really want them to remember when they think of you down the road? That usually shakes people up too, <laughs> to really I, reflect. I bet. So let's talk about another common caregiver behavior, and that's sarcasm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. Boy, so sarcasm done. always reminds me of it's it's kind of like it suddenly your mother is talking you know when you always say i'm, not, I'm never going to say that to my children and then there you right. are right it's my mother talking yeah yeah, yeah. any I mean, comments about that... sarcasm or do you want to move right on to guilt well no with well what i think the two go hand in hand right i like how you're pairing these together meryl i think that's really cool because i think sarcasm often evokes guilt you know it's a sarcasm is a passive aggressive behavior it's a way of lashing out at somebody but not really lashing out 
So, you know, some of the classic, right, is they, did I hurt your feelings? And the other person says, no, I'm used to it. <laughs> so, I mean, you want to talk about capital S for sarcasm, right? Like, that's, that's it right there. So I think, I think the best thing you can do is say, you know, it feels like you're being sarcastic, and I really want to know what's bothering you. Help me understand. Can you explain more? So the more you kind of like it's when somebody's a sniper, when you uncover it, not in a very adversarial way, but show genuine content. You know, it hurts when you say it like that. And I feel hurt. Okay. You know, if, if you are looking to score a shot at me or get my attention, that hurts. But how about we talk this out? And I think if you use that approach, it's very transparent and it's very disarming. I can't guarantee it'll stop somebody from being sarcastic, but it's very hard to be sarcastic with somebody who responds in a very transparent, you know, supportive way. But it also isn't saying, I'm a doormat, keep doing this. You're saying, look, it hurts, but I'd really like to talk about this in a more constructive way. See, that's one of those um, um, tips and pieces of advice you give that I think are really good and, and has to do with adults dealing with other adults you know, um, or with adult children, um, or even sometimes with a parent they're taking care of. And that is to repeat you that you don't need to be someone's doormat. You you don't need to take that, you know, you can talk about it, and we can talk about it and try to work it out. But I don't need to, to, you know, continually be verbally abused or, you know, um, be your doormat. It isn't necessary to go on like that. So that was good. Thank you. Let's talk yeah. just for a few minutes about um, uh, co-occurring conditions. Um, so let's talk about, for instance, the child who actually has um, ADHD. And I say that because I, you may not agree, but I think there's a lot. I used to see a lot of kids with a diagnosis of ADHD that really were not ADHD. Mm-hmm. Um, But for the child who truly has um, ADHD or ADD, um, can you talk a little bit about that as a co-occurring condition? Yeah, and I really like that you're bringing this up, too, because uh, depending on what you read, up to 50% of kids who have oppositional defiance, and again, I know we can get lost in diagnostic soup here, you know, ODD for oppositional defiant disorder, and ADHD for attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. But the bottom line is when you have kids who have a hard time controlling their impulses, when they have this ADHD profile, you know, they have no filter. They can't really put the brakes on. They're more fire ready aim instead of ready aim fire as they go with the world. Yes, um, those kids are more likely to have defiant behavior. They get in trouble more. And I think the more that parents can remember that these kids operate differently. They have more cannots, and it's not just always a choose not, meaning they may not be able to put on the brakes. And that's where you really want to try to slow it down for them, model, bring out, you know, make sure that they can reflect on themselves and not just, you know, not just go faster. It's like a, a race, a, a race with, with NASCAR. With, you know, you, the faster the two of you argue and go around the track, the faster and more likely one of you is going to hit the wall and crash. So your job as a parent, when your child has any kind of problem, you know, defiance, anxiety, ADHD, is to slow things down. That's so we all, we only have a few minutes. So I want to ask you just a quick tip for what, you know, are very high risk kind of transitional times um, where things can really, really get difficult. So um, one of those situations is homework, you know. 
Um, yeah. It's time to do homework, and your child's refusing, and they don't want to turn off the video game, and things escalate very, very quickly in most homes. So what are your suggestions for handling those kinds of situations? It takes a village, and don't go it alone any more than you have to. So I think kids need to be part of their own education. I think if there's ongoing problems, if the kid has ADHD or something's interfering with their learning inside or outside the classroom, have meetings with the school and have your child there. Not in a shaming way, not in the way that your child feels cornered, but just the more that they are facing their teachers, the guidance counselor, hopefully, some supportive people, school counselor, people there that are supportive, so it's not just you. I can't tell you, Meryl, how many times I see parents going on these Internet sites, these portals, checking the homework for their kids, stressing out, and then the kids end up going off to college without these abilities to take responsibility and monitor and take care of their own, you know, their own level of business with school. So got to involve the kid in it and if you're in a fruitless power struggle get the school involved and not just have one meeting have follow-up meetings they need to only be five or ten minutes maybe on monday mornings at the beginning of the week you know a couple times a month or you know do whatever you can once a month you know what every other week get more support and accountability when we return, we will begin concentrating on the application of some of Dr. Bernstein's research and clinical work to other caregiving situations like learning how to be calm, tips for talking to your partner, and I like his family dance of anger. Not that I like anger, but I think his discussion about it is, is extremely good. So we look forward to hearing more from him soon after the break. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Where's your mom? What's she doing? You'd know if she was at Sarah Care Daytime Senior Care and Activities. You'd know she's enjoying a full day of activities program just for her interests, like art classes, volunteering, pet care, and card club. And she's home by dinner. And what's different is that Sarah Care actually has nursing care right there with her. So you'd know. Try one free day of care at Sarah Care. Call 330-451-6108. How's your mom? She's just fine at Sarah Care Daytime Senior Care and Activities. Do you ever have an off day? Or is your life positive and uplifting? Making Life Brighter is a forum for positive, inspired, and contemplative thought, showcasing experts in their fields, including authors, musicians, and artists. Your host, Winifred Adams, will bring to life topics to stimulate and make your life brighter. We want to hear from you. Be sure to tune in Thursdays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Do you know about Reiki? This method of healing can complement Western medicine as well as other alternative practices. Besides healing, it can have the additional effect of making you feel more positive about yourself and the world around you. By tuning into For the Love of Reiki with host Paula Vale, you'll find how Reiki can improve your health, bring balance into your life, and fill you with joy. For the Love of Reiki is broadcast live every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time and 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You 
are listening to Caught Between Generations. To reach our program today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to drmerrill at caughtbetweengenerations.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to Caught Between Generations. We've been talking to Dr. Jeffrey Bernstein, author of 10 Days to a Less Defined Child. He is a family and child psychologist, and he has given us great ideas and great tips um, on being a parent and handling our children. But we're also going to begin talking about some of his ideas and some of his techniques and try to talk a little bit about how we can also apply these to the other relationships that we have in our lives. So one of the techniques that you talk about, Dr. Bernstein, is learning how to be calm. We all want to be calmer, but it's so hard. I mean, how do you do that? Yeah, I I mean, I think, you know, um, again, as we were talking about before the break, reminding yourself of your intention and keeping your intention alive, you know, really thinking about the benefits of being calm. I know for me sometimes when I, I'll be out there in the world and I'll see parents that look calm and I'll see how less is more, you know, less less nagging, less less controlling, and the kids that respond well to that. I'll remind myself that kids who are defiant do not work well with an adversarial dynamic. You know, when you get in their face, when you get reactive, it just, I I think I literally will picture in my mind, well, metaphorically, I I want to say, gasoline being thrown on a fire. So I try to to kind of keep it very powerful for me with metaphors, images. Um, I think of people who I admire out there who are calm, Um, people that are in the field of mindfulness, of meditation, people who seem that I feel very tuned into um, because they offer a calming presence. And and also reminding ourselves that how are you going to feel afterwards? After you have this argument, after you scream at your child, after you get really reactive, how are you really going to feel? And more often than not, we know the answer is not good. So that's how I think we work on being calm. And remembering, too, that we're modeling it. So the more we show it, the more our kids will learn it. You know, I think part of the problem, though, is the schedule we have ourselves on. I mean, we have our kids Mm -hmm. on it. We have uh, the other adults we care for. I mean, we're just moving from thing to thing. So any little change, any little delay can just throw us. And And I think tends to just break into that calm. I mean, I mean, do you, do you recommend sometimes that maybe people want to revisit their schedules and think through, you know, is this really necessary that we be doing all of this? Oh, I think absolutely. I mean, I look, I think so much of this is self-imposed. And by this, I mean the this, this stress that we're under, the incredible pace that we're under. Um, and I think, you know, I see so many kids that... Um, you know, there's so much anxiety in, that I see in my office with parents, not just the children, parents at the end of the couch, sitting on the edge of the couch, leaning forward, and the kids are overscheduled. They're, you know, they're striving to get that scholarship for college, which I understand, or, you know, to get really good standing in their class. I mean, I see a lot of those types of families where high octane, I call them, um, 
And it's very hard to change except to realize that, um, you know, it's not sustainable. Usually when you're, you're this frenzied, somebody at the end of the day is going to, you know, just lose it. <laughs> they're going to unravel. They're going to scream. They're going to rebel. And reminding people that, um, that less is more. Um, but, boy, we have such a critical mass of people running, you know, with, with cell phones and messages coming at us so quickly and this, this hunger for technology. It, it's a tough one today. It, it is tough. I mean, we've, we talked about this with Robin Raskin, but, I mean, even from adult to adult, you know, I've watched people in restaurants. They're not even talking to one another. And sometimes I see them with the senior that they're taking care of um, who's sitting in a wheelchair at the table, and they're not – no one's looking at one another. They're just – everyone's looking at their phones. And, and it's sad. In, in a way, it's really sad. So let, let's go on a talk. And, and talk about um, tips for talking to your partner. So whether that be, you know, a discussion about your child or a discussion about someone, another adult you're taking care of, what kind of are the suggestions you have for having an open communication so you can actually talk to your partner about what's going on? Mm-hmm. You know, one of the things I think we forget the most, depending on what you read, 60 to 90% of communication is nonverbal. Our tone, where we're looking with our eyes, um, our body lean, um, if we look disgusted, if our hands are on our hips or not. I mean, I'm not saying that we have to be anxious and, you know, have to, my gosh, get so stressed out that, you know, every single part of our body has to be perfectly aligned. But what I am saying is be aware of how you look when you are communicating with your partner. Are you looking stressed out? Are you looking impatient? Are you sounding brusque and short in your tone? I like to think of it, are the edges of your communication more like a square, you know, those 90-degree angles that are sharp, or do you have rounded edges? Go for the rounded edges. Be soft, be supportive, be empathetic, be loving, Well, you know, we all want to feel encouraged and supportive. And I think sometimes we just forget that we ask our partners to take some of our, (laughs) we take them for granted. We don't, we're not sensitive enough to how it feels to be on the receiving end of not pleasant, you know, requests or being abrupt or sarcastic you talked about before the break. So I think we need to really be accountable when we talk to our partners and the rest will kind of take care of itself. So what's your suggestion for opening the conversation? I mean, I you know, it, it's kind of like that old joke that, you know, when you're about to tell your partner something that they're probably not going to like that your child did, you know, that the opening line is your son. You know, do you know what your son did today? Yeah. Um, yeah. So what are your suggestions for opening the conversation in a way that it can end up being productive? I think starting out most conversations with a statement of positive intention with, you know, Joe, I want to talk to you about what Johnny did and I really need your help on this because I'm feeling kind of overwhelmed. And I also know that if we let this rock us and, you know, that he got an underage in drinking or that we just got our fifth email uh, this week that he lied to us about turning in his homework you know, I know that if I, if we start yelling or having tension between us, that's not going to help. Um, so I really want to try to have some, you know, 
good productive dialogue with you right now. Can you help me with this? You know, that kind of thing. Um, so that you really are coming from a place of collaboration versus, again, being an adversary. And I think the more that you appeal in a very transparent, true, authentic way that you want help as opposed to you're telling your spouse what they, see, I told you so, you're not taking it seriously, see that? Or how else am I going to get your attention if I don't yell at you? Those types of approaches don't work. I think that's a great suggestion. I mean, I hear that um, in in working with seniors now. You, it's the difference between I'm really concerned about your mom. Um, some things happened today. I'm learning from you. I'm repeating. I am now assimilating what you've just taught us in into in translating this. Um, right. So I'd I'd like to talk to you about you know a few things that happened with your mom today, as opposed to. You know, I had 15 phone calls at work today about your mom. This is really driving me crazy, and you better take care of this problem. Right. Which doesn't get us anywhere. So in uh, the few minutes we have before the break, let's talk about the family dance of anger. It doesn't sound like it's a very smooth dance. So can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, I, I think of that old movie from, I'm dating myself from years ago, and I'm up here in Pennsylvania uh, in a town called Exton, outside of about 30, I'm, I'm west of Philadelphia, but there's another town called Downingtown, and they have a diner out here, and it's where they filmed the original movie, The Blob, many years ago. And I remember, you know, I think of The Blob as a metaphor that it, when families get angry, when members get angry at each other, it's kind of like The Blob moves around and starts to swallow each different family member up. And I think it's our job not to get sucked into The Blob. And the best way we do this is be, we don't get angry. We don't feed The Blob, right? Because what feeds The Blob is anger. Um, so I think the more that, you know, when we see that we're getting angry at family members or we notice another one is that we say, look, let's have a time out. Again, we go for that statement of positive intention. We take our deep breaths and we also catch each other not getting angry or not getting as angry. You know, Joe, I saw you were really getting frustrated and I really appreciate that you pulled it in and helped me, you know, continue this conversation. Boy, this was not easy. Thank you. This really helps me. Or, you know, uh, you know, Laura, um, I could see you, you know, you were rolling your eyes, you were pretty upset, and when I slowed down and and you listened, it really felt like a breakthrough. Putting difference to work, finding positive differences and and germinating them and putting, you know, keeping them going, building them up, putting those to work is a great way to counter anger taking over. Do you ever talk to your um, families about rewarding themselves, the parents, about the necessity of, of rewarding themselves, especially when they change? You know, I think, yeah, there's literature on something in our cult, uh, called uh, self-compassion. And I think part of self-compassion is, you know, giving yourself credit. And because and, we're in a world where we have a lot of things pulling on us. And I think rewarding ourselves, I think in our culture, we're not, we, we're, you know, go back to guilt, which you talked about before the break, you know, we, we tend to just spend so much time feeling guilty. I love the idea of rewarding ourselves, but in ways that are going to last. You know, I think if we reward ourselves sometimes with material things, they um, those types of things can fade. Not that they're bad or good, but, you know, maybe like some self-care, taking time to walk, taking time to be mindful, building memories, um, 
you know, allow, giving ourselves credit, doing a gratitude list, I think is a wonderful way to reward yourself as well. It doesn't just have to be material, but it can be. You can get something for yourself, a treat, you know, that's fine. Um, but I think we need to reward ourselves by being kind to ourselves and having self-compassion. I like that, being kind to ourselves. When we return, we're going to be discussing some tips for teachers and for schools. Meanwhile, be kind to yourself. Like that. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. At Saracare, we provide daytime activities and health-related care for seniors who need assistance and support during the day. It is 101 activities and home by dinner. While we pride ourselves on the quality of our care, the Sarah Care Way sees beyond your loved one's needs to understand them as a unique individual. We care for individuals with chronic diseases, memory loss, stroke, Parkinson's disease, or those who may be feeling depressed and isolated. Our program is designed to encourage seniors to remain involved in activities of their choice, customized to meet their interests and abilities. Our outings include lunch at favorite restaurants and trips to the movies, concerts, or shopping at a cost that is less than five hours of in-home care. Your family member can attend one of our centers all day and be cared for by professional nurses and activity assistants. Transportation and financial assistance is available. Call 1-800-472-5544 today to learn how Sarah Care can help or visit us on the web at sarahcare.com. That's S-A-R-A-H-Care.com. Much of the time, the illnesses that people feel are simply symptoms, and they mask the root cause of what the real health problem is. You can take back control of your own health, starting with Billionaire Healthcare. This program is hosted by Ashley Black. Our program will introduce you to fascia, which is the knowledge of the living matrix. This bit of knowledge can bring you the health secrets that only the rich and famous have known until now. Listen Wednesdays at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health & Wellness. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. To Caught Between Generations. To reach our program today, please call 1 866 472 5792. That's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to Dr. Merrill at CaughtBetweenGenerations.com. Now, back to the show. Thank you for joining us. We're here with Dr. Jeffrey Bernstein, and we are talking about defiant children. And interesting enough, we're also talking about many of the techniques and approaches he uses that you can use with anyone in your life, um, whether you're caring for an adult or caring for a spouse or caring for a child. So it's been very, very interesting. So, Dr. Bernstein, I want to talk just In uh, the few minutes we have left, I want to talk about schools, and I want to talk about tips for teachers. So I want to return to the issue of defiant children and talk about how does defiance present itself in the classroom? Well, defiance in the classroom can be active, like the kid who's showing off and um, 
loud or disrespectful, insulting the tit the teacher, that kind of thing, or it can be passive aggressive, you know, falling asleep, putting your head down on the desk, kid putting his head down on the desk, talking when he or she shouldn't be talking. Um, so those are the, you know, classic perennial problems that a lot of teachers are facing for sure. So, so the most classic one, and I mean, this is really what you're describing is power struggles because that becomes a big, big issue in a classroom. So right. When you consult with teachers, what do you suggest that the, how they handle that? Because it's a big issue. Yeah, I, I that same calm, firm, controlling model is great, um, and it really works well for teachers to um, not inflame the defiant behavior, to speak calmly to the child, bypass the emotional reactivity, and also build the informal relationship with the child. Ask him or her about what they like, their video games that they're playing these days, or, you know, their interests or their sports or their siblings or, you know, um, topics, their music, anything. Like, join with them in their, in their um, and build up that informal relationship, I think, can really create um, a good connection. So I've never seen a kid come to my office and complain about a teacher with whom he felt the the teacher really had an interest in wanting him or her to feel like they knew him. What are your suggestions for parents um, in enrolling, let's say, starting a child in school and they are dealing with defiant behavior? I mean, should they go in in advance? Some parents would say, well, I don't want to alert the school that there's a problem, you know, it'll label my child. I mean, how should parents handle that? Yeah, I think transparency, again, is number is just so important. And I think if the parent goes in and says, look, you know, here's, here's what works well, here's what could work better. And, And I think the child should be involved in these conversations, by the way, it's the child's education. So I think bringing the child in and bridging the gap and again, making it, um, more of a coaching kind of, you know, look, we're, we're here to, to, to strengthen the good behaviors and minimize the not-so-good behaviors. And not that, that way, it's not just going to anchor the school's perception that this is a problem child. You know, I think it's interesting because that's the second time you've talked about involving the child um, in a school situation. So in the, in the conversation, so they become more responsible. I mean, what is the age that you recommend that you can really begin doing that? You know, I think kindergarten, first grade, second grade, I mean, watered down, shorter durations, but working the child all the way up. I mean, certainly middle school and then in high school for, you know, these called individualized education plans um, where kids might get extra time for, um, you know, completing assignments or their seat preference, where they're going to be in the classroom, uh, whether they're going to have a study buddy or not. I think if kids can feel part of these discussions, even at an early age, I think it's great. I think kids need to feel like they are invested and they get to... um, you know, render opinions and talk about what works and doesn't work for them in getting their education. I really do. So how would you set that up with the child? I mean, you're telling the child we're going to include you in this discussion with school. I mean, their immediate response, I think, would be, yeah, fine, you're going to drag me in there, um, so now everybody can attack me. I mean, how yeah. would you set that up so it, it, it's a little yeah. different? Well, let's give it a try so that we, and, and you tell me after we meet if you feel attacked or not. 
because the last thing I want is you to feel attacked. But I think, Tommy, you'll agree with me that right now, the way things have been at home, where you feel I'm always on your case, where I'm not giving you time to play video games, where you feel I'm, you know, checking too much on whether you're getting things done. Can we both agree, Tommy, that it's really not working this well now? So where, where is the downside if we're both stressed out right now or daddy, me and you or mom, me and you, you know, how can there be a downside to try it a little bit differently with the school? And let's give it a try. And Tommy, if you, if it, you know, maybe you're right. Maybe it won't work. But right now, things haven't been good. So let's try it. Okay, good. Is there anyone that you would recommend that they not use this program, that the program is not appropriate for? For 10 days to a less defined mm-hmm. in yes. my book? Uh-huh. Oh, you know what? Um, that's a great... Nobody's ever asked me that, Merle, in all these years. <laughs> um, I, think, I think for people who... Um, who don't see this as more of a behavioral management, if they expect, look, here's the the thing with the program. It works if you work it. It's like a lot of things in life. So use this program if you're willing to make changes as a parent. If you just want your child to change and you're going to keep yelling at your child and getting over the top with your consequences and reactive, don't, don't use my program. But if you're willing to take accountability and be willing to shift your mindset when you feel stuck as a parent who's disrespected to being a coach who's trying to encourage and support your child, if you can learn that, you know, taking things personally is not, is not going to help you, um, I, think, I think use the program because I think these are, these are important elements in the program. But basically use the program with realistic expectations. And I will tell you, I mean, I'm so grateful Merle, I've gotten letters, I say this with pride, from all over the country, actually outside the country, people that have read the book and used the program. And it really, it does work. And, and it saved me and my relationships with my own children because I'm a yeller in recovery. I thought, <laughs> I mean, I was over the top and it really helped me change my approach. And I've just heard from so many people it, it works. So I, I have to have pride in it because I feel good about that. You should. You should. Thank you so much for joining us today. Um, can you give us your contact information? Sure. Yep. Uh, again, I'm Dr. Jeffrey Bernstein, B-E-R-N-S-T-E-I-N, and I am online at uh, my website, uh, www.dr, so D-R-J-E-F-F, online.com, drjeffonline.com. And that, that's my website, and that's probably the best way that people can reach me, um, yeah, I mean, I can give you from my phone number, but that's all online, too. So. No. Okay, Dr. Bursley, thank you so much for being with us, and your books are available on Amazon, and they are absolutely worthwhile, and I would highly recommend them. Thank you so much for being with us today. Greatly appreciate it. Thank you so much, Meryl. Thank you. So my takeaway today deals with handling your emotions. Um, I think many of us feel guilty, embarrassed, and perhaps even ashamed when we become angry or frustrated with someone for whom we're caring. Whether it's children or adults, it really doesn't uh, make a difference. You know, I have a friend recently who got very upset with his father uh, who has dementia. dementia. He raised his voice at him and it frightened his father. And he called me really upset. He's like, Meryl, you know, I should know better. I'm a professional. I cannot believe that I did this. 
but it happens. So the fact is we all have these feelings and the issue is not that we actually have these feelings from time to time, but it's how we manage these feelings. We've heard some great suggestions today, but if you want to actually begin using these tips, then you have to be prepared. And what does being prepared mean? It means that you have to be able to refuel. So this is Dr. Merrill asking you to do just one thing for yourself this week. Just one thing that will allow you to refuel and to be able to implement some of the ideas and tips we share on Caught Between Generations. So remember, you want to refuel in order to continue taking care of the people who really depend on you and love you very, very much. Just one thing. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you for tuning in to Caught Between Generations with Dr. Mel Griff. Our program is live every Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We hope to see you here next week. 